Welcome to Teach Em Up, the podcast about teaching and learning. Today, we are talking with Virginia Vogel, chemistry, physics, and engineering teacher at San Marin High School. What's good, VA? Uh, you know, it's a rush morning, but I'm glad to be here with you. So It is a rush morning. <laughs> um, so like the two of us live our lead kind of parallel lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so both of us were scrambling this morning trying to get our three kids to the three various places that they go before we get to school. Um, and we are finally here and can take a deep breath. Yes. Uh, so congratulations. Ah, thank you. You made it. It's a feat every morning. It, so. <laughs> it is a feat every morning. Um, yeah, like our kids alternate in ages. Uh, I've got a seven, five, two, and you've got a six, four and year and a half. Yeah. Um, so we just kind of like alternate where it's like you put our kids together and we're just a little stair step going up. That's right. Just alternating between blonde hair, black hair. Yep. (laughs) Um, otherwise same, same. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, we do a lot of teaching together. Mm -hmm. We, uh, teach one of the same classes, our physics and engineering class. Um, and then we also both teach in our STEM Marin program. Uh, you have been teaching here at San Marin High School for 13 years. Yes. I have also been teaching here at San Marin High School for 13 years. Um, what was your path into teaching and what made you stick with it? Um, I think I always knew at a young age that I wanted to be a teacher. And I think that I really wanted to teach elementary. But it wasn't until I got to high school that it I found it exciting that there were teachers that really had a passion about a specific subject and I actually had a chemistry teacher that I just really loved and she just made this really difficult subject seem so easy Um, and so I really enjoyed that and then I also had um, a very inspirational high school coach that was also a teacher he was a middle school teacher and I never had him uh, for I mean as a teacher but having him as a coach it was just nice to have that mentor so I knew when I got into college that I kind of wanted to move more to towards high school teaching and also coaching. So those were kind of like where my passions lied. And I think I've stuck with it just basically I really enjoy being a mentor to students mm-hmm. and having that relationship with them and they keep me going. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, that coach I know was George Bosquet. Yes. Yeah. He <laughs> is still a science teacher uh, at Sinaloa Middle School in Novato. Um, and you were kind of a stud athlete, a stud runner, right? You ran cross country and track all the way through high school and Mr. Bosquet was your coach all the way through. I guess yeah. we can call him yes. George now yeah. since we're colleagues. <laughs> I always call him Mr. Bosquet. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny how those things just get ingrained. Yes, like yeah. I'll see students that I had 10 years ago uh-huh. and they're still like Mr. Williams yeah. and it's like you're all like 30 now. You, <laughs> you can, can call me Nick. You can yeah. call me Nick. Like we're we're yeah. on the same level here. Yeah. Um, okay, and then who was the high or who was the chemistry teacher? Um, it was Miss Tucker. Okay, and uh, funny enough, I went to a like teacher training, and it was at Tam High School, and she was the teacher that was leading the training. Whoa! And I was like, whoa! So I went up to her afterwards and just like thanked her for being my inspiration and all that. And it turns out like she's a pretty. I mean, she was always a phenomenal teacher, but she's grown to even even more phenomenal teacher. She uh-huh. does a lot of like flipped classroom instruction. Um, She has won a pretty big national award in teaching and she just does a lot of stuff for students. And it's just interesting to see and inspiring to see how much she's grown as well. Uh So it's very cool. That's super exciting. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And you are also a pretty accomplished teacher. You were the 2015 (laughs) Bay Area High School Teacher of the Year. Yes. So you're no slouch yourself. (laughs) Um, We've got some great science teachers around here. Yeah. Um, okay, so 
Uh, today, we're going to talk a little bit about project-based learning. Um, and we wanted to start by kind of talking about like our classroom philosophy and how that gets into project-based learning. So generally, like what do you believe about teaching and learning? Well, I think the biggest thing is the learning. Mm-hmm. And um, I think when I first started teaching, it was very easy to fall into the mode of like, this is the chapter we're on. We go in sequence through the book. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to take notes on it. We're going to do a lab on it. We'll do some practice problems. You'll have a study guide. We take a test. And now we're on to the next chapter. Yep. And I felt like it was very easy and like by the book, but there was not a literally, lot of learning. Literally <laughs> by the book. Literally by the book. And there wasn't a whole lot of learning and there wasn't a whole lot of engagement and it was a lot of memorize it for the test and then you don't need it anymore. Mm-hmm. And I just think with stuff like science, there's so many questions to be asked and there's so much deep thinking that can happen. And I really like project-based learning because it allows students to take that journey rather than just here's what we're going to get from the book. Mm-hmm. And whether it's, you know, a project that's created to hit the standards that doesn't necessarily like it's not a real life thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still getting them to think about those questions and getting them involved. And um, I really am inspired by students that have the questions themselves. So mm-hmm. if I as a teacher can encourage students to be passionate about it and to think about things, then I feel like that's more of my goal as a teacher than just getting them to memorize the things that they need in the book. Right. Um, Like basically it's the philosophy that the reason that we learn about some stuff in school is that it has relevance to the real world Mm -hmm. and to your future life in some way. Right. Um, Like we don't learn about chemistry just because putting lines between C's and H's and O's is Mm -hmm. super fun. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Like we learn about chemistry because it is applicable to something. Yeah. Um, we can use it to clean water and make sure that people are safe. We can use chemistry to develop new products, uh, like everything that you probably have in your home. Exactly. Um, so the concept is like, we don't learn about these things just for funsies. Uh, we do it for a real purpose. And why on earth wouldn't we have students doing that real purpose as they're learning about the thing? Right. And doing it sooner than just like in college or even beyond college. Because I would say like even in college, I was forced to think, but I wasn't really forced to like ask questions and think about stuff. Uh-huh. Not not that I can recall. So it just felt like there's this pathway that like if you have these awesome questions or ideas like how can we make medicine better to cure people, like why wait until you know, you're later in life to figure out those questions. Why not ask those questions now? And it's nice to see that there's students that are passionate about that kind of stuff. Let them, like, open up that passion earlier on rather than save it for later, I guess. Absolutely. And it gives chance for, like, struggling students to have a purpose (laughs) for Mm -hmm. school. Like, you care about something. Let's give you a reason beyond, oh, there's a test on Friday. Right. Um, It turns out that, like, students don't generally put their absolute best effort in just to impress a teacher because there's a test. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll do like whatever the base minimum is to get whatever the grade is that they need on that test. But when you're doing something for a purpose that you care about, you tend to put your absolute best effort into it. Right. Um, and that leads to a tremendous amount of learning as well. And I also felt like the traditional way was teaching the skill of studying and memorizing and that's about it Uh but with project-based learning you're touching on so many other skills like the research skill that you know um, students need to have and the drive that they need to have and the questions they come up with and the 
it's not so much like, okay, we did this lab and we got some results and that was it. It was like, okay, do your results make sense? Or did they lead to something else? Can you make it better? That kind of stuff that is is fun with project-based learning. Yeah. Okay. So we should probably start with actually like identifying what is project-based learning. Right. Like we're using this kind of edu-speak keyword over and over and over again. Um, but I think it's important that we define when you and I talk about project-based learning, what exactly do we mean? So what does a project-based learning lesson sequence look like? What is the teacher doing? What are the kids doing? How do you kind of roll that out? Okay, so the way that I started um, when I launch projects is I always have a topic or a theme that has a driving question. Sometimes it's a driving question that I've come up with. Sometimes it's a driving question that's particular to students' project or their interest. Mm -hmm. After that, we And then is that driving question, when you come up with the idea for a project, is that just like, oh, here's this cool thing, or here's something that I'm struggling with in my life, or is it based around a specific standard that you're trying to teach, or it, all of the above? Well, it's first off based off of a standard, because okay. I know that I have to hit those standards. Um, and then from there, I also try to balance with, okay, this is a standard, but what's going to make it relevant to students? Because mm-hmm. um, if it's not something that they're really interested in, then they're not going to go for it. Like, mm-hmm. there's no hook there. If it's something that has to be a standard, that but that maybe students don't know that they're interested in yet. Uh-huh. Like, for example, thermochemistry, that's like, who even knows about that? What? Um, <laughs> Everybody loves thermochemistry. Uh, you know, you come up with ideas that will inspire students or... Um, with your lead-in project, you have some way to introduce them to the concept so that they can kind of form those questions themselves. Okay, so let's use the super engaging topic of thermochemistry (laughs) as an example. Um, You're going to run a project on thermochemistry. Mm -hmm. You come up with a driving question. Mm -hmm. What's what's an example of a driving question for thermochemistry? Um, So one of the standards um, is to create a device that can transfer one form of energy to another form of energy. Okay, so like potential energy into kinetic energy or potential energy into thermal energy or something like that. Yes. Okay. And um, the first year that I did a project on this, every student was creating hand warmers. Mm -hmm. And the buy-in was that we were creating hand warmers for the school to sell at um, soccer games during the winter and all that. They get chilly. Yes. Now the hard part with that is every student is doing really the same project they're uh-huh. just trying to finagle how can we market better than the other class or right. than the other projects uh-huh. which is still um good it's good but it's not great it's not great it's i mean you basically have a right answer in mind right and then the students are trying to find that right answer yes and ideally we'd like your project to be open-ended enough so that there are lots of right answers yes. or lots of ways of getting to a a good thing mm-hmm And so last year when I changed the project, it was students needed to create a device that can transfer one form of energy to another form of energy. And again, we're focusing on chemistry, so it's chemical energy, potential energy into thermal energy. And the projects that these kids came up with and what they got into was very interesting because it was everything from ranging from... um, you know, thermal hand warmers all the way to like students were creating batteries. There were groups of students that wanted to create a lemon battery to power a toaster to, to you know, put a piece of bread and toast a piece of bread. Uh-huh. So it was just the the driving questions that they came up with were kind of all over the place. But again, it was really what students were interested in and um, sort of led them towards the direction of 
the direction for the project. Okay, so like the driving question for that one would be how do we transfer one form of energy into thermal energy? Yes, yeah. Right? Yeah. Because that's what you're trying to get at for chemistry and it was very... is the thermal energy part. Yes. Okay. And then you gave them kind of free reign into what they wanted to start with mm-hmm. and how they get it to thermal energy. Yes. Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And, and so then a com- after the driving question comes the need to knows. Okay. Um, so it's really a list of what do the students need to know to be able to be successful for their project. Um, and that's an area where it's a tough balance because as a teacher, you know the things that they need to know mm-hmm. and you're trying to kind of nudge them to get those things. Uh-huh. But it's also when you open up these projects to really anything for the students, there's a lot of stuff that comes up later on that they need to add to their need to know list. Right. You know, especially when we got into the battery stuff and the students were doing research on, you know, um, oxidation and reduction. And that wasn't really a topic that we had focused on with thermochem, but it was very relevant for their project. So then Mm -hmm. we, you know, we had to kind of take a sidestep and do our lesson on thermochem because they needed it for their project. Mm -hmm. So I think in project-based learning, it's also, um, as a teacher, you have to be very flexible because you are really driving your instruction based off of what students need to know. Right. Okay. So step one, you've got your driving question. You introduce it to the students as like big picture. This is what we're working on for the next three weeks, five weeks, whatever. Step two, you create this need-to-know list with students, and students kind of generate, here's what we think we need to know in order to accomplish this task. Mm -hmm. Um, And students are coming up with content ideas. Mm -hmm. Like I would assume students were like, well, we need to know how to calculate thermal energy. Yes. Um, We need to know what different types of energy are that we could start with. Mm -hmm. Uh, We need to know how to make that transfer from one type of energy to another, we need to know about efficiency Mm -hmm. so that we can get as much energy from our starting point into our final ending thermal piece as we can. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so they've come up with a list of need to knows, and then maybe they also have a need to know list about other stuff about the project. Um, they always do. <laughs> like logistical pieces. Right. What materials do we have available? How long do we have to work on it? In what way am I going to be presenting this? Mm-hmm. Who is my target audience? Am I selling this to a company? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then maybe some need to knows about like skills that they might need to develop. If I am marketing this to Johnson & Johnson, uh, how do I present something in a way that might be appealing to that type of chemical company. Mm-hmm. Is Johnson & Johnson a chemical company? Yeah. All right. I think so. <laughs> cool. I don't know. They make stuff. They have a big umbrella. I know okay. that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so, you know, depending on what that is, like what kind of presentation skills do I need? What kind of uh, writing skills might I need to develop? How do I phrase these things in certain ways? Okay. So you've got your driving question. You've got your need-to-know list. And then what? You just release the kids and say, go make it happen? Not exactly. Not exactly. <laughs> like some, huh. like uh, sometimes. Um, I would say uh, right off the bat. Okay, so like let me backtrack. Yes, you do in that you let them do the research and you let them get to the point where they need to get. Um, but I would say as a teacher, you do have to structure in when are you going to give those actual lessons mm-hmm. um, that are sometimes direct instruction. 
Um, sometimes I use um, like computer simulations. Those mm -hmm. are, I found students really engage in those because, you know, you can get the little molecules that are like banging into each other and, and changing and things like that. Especially for something like chemistry where you can't physically see it. Yes. Molecules yeah. are too small yeah. to visibly see them. So you can make a computer model yeah. and then see that. Okay. Um, we definitely set up structured or I try to um, individually help students set up structured tests after they've built their device to figure out like what is that going to look like mm -hmm. um, what do they need to test what data are they going to collect mm -hmm. and what are they going to do with it afterwards so it's a navigation I would say and sort of a flip-flop back and forth between them and me and making sure that they're still hitting the content um, and still getting the stuff that they need and I would imagine that's a tricky line. And I, I would imagine I do project-based yeah. learning too. Um, I know that is a tricky line to walk, yeah. right? Because um, we call that just-in-time instruction. Mm -hmm. um, so generally, we have the need to know. And then we say, OK, let's take the first few steps. Like you're going to start by brainstorming a list of potential ways that you could make these energy transfers. Now that you've got this list, you're going to kind of narrow it down and select your best possible option. And we'll start developing that. And that probably will involve some research mm -hmm. into like, okay, you're trying to make a battery. How exactly do chemical batteries work? Mm -hmm. yeah. You got to figure out what chemicals are necessary. Is that an acid? Is it a base? Is it something else? Is it doable Where, in the parameters that we have in high school? Right. Like that kind of stuff. What is electricity? Mm -hmm. I know that I need some ions moving, I think, mm -hmm. yeah. um, <laughs> electrons. But like, how do I do that? Mm -hmm. um, and so they do a little bit of research. And then they probably get to a point where they're like, okay, I've got this theoretical concept, now what? Right. And that's when you jump in and you start talking about, ah, so here is acid-base chemistry, mm -hmm. and here's why electrons will move, and here's how ions work, mm -hmm. and da-da-da-da-da, and it gives you a reason for them caring, whereas if you just open with like, all right, so an atom has these three parts. There's a proton, a neutron, yeah. an electron, and then the electrons are going to do like this. And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 all these words, and who cares? Well, and it, it also, I found definitely in chemistry, you have to see stuff, and you have to touch stuff and do stuff before it makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So like using the um, example of the battery, you know, students draw, students really dive into it quite honestly, looking at YouTube videos and uh -huh. getting all their ideas from YouTube videos. And then they find out that it doesn't work all the time. Yes. And then they have to problem solve, okay, why doesn't it work? Mm -hmm. And it's more than just like, all right, let's switch where we put the copper and where we put the zinc. Um, a lot of times it's then understanding the chemistry behind, oh, this is why we have to, you know, this is why we they had seven lemons in the video because they're trying to, you know, either up the concentration or maybe they're trying to put their battery in parallel or series like mm -hmm. so it really gets the students involved and they have to ask those questions and then when you navigate that as a teacher of flipping back and forth between all right here's the instruction that I'm going to give you it definitely has a purpose and not only that but they have their model in front of them that they're playing around with and mm -hmm. saying okay this is how I can get it to work better or this is why it's not working or other <laughs> yeah um, so is that challenging in that they all have different models like if I'm trying to do a lemon battery, that's going to look a little bit different than the kid who's over here mixing a couple liquids trying to make a hand warmer. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think that the most exciting projects for me are when the whole class is doing completely different things. Uh -huh. And the 
toughest part of my job is when the whole class is doing different things. Uh-huh. And, you know, I got to dabble with it a little bit last year where even in my own classroom, some of the instruction, like the example we just gave, um, or the example that you just gave, I had to basically pull half the class and say, okay, this is relevant for your project Mm -hmm. and we're going to talk about this. And then to the other half of the class, we brought everybody together and everybody kind of got the, like, uh, how would you say, like more general idea of how this works. Mm -hmm. But some of the groups that it wasn't super relevant at that point in time, like they didn't get as um, like intense instruction on that. Got it. So it's kind of wavering back and forth. So it's almost like you have this core idea of what every student has to learn. Yes. And what every student has to learn is how to get a device that transfers one form of energy into thermal energy. Yes. And then there's all of this other learning piece, Mm -hmm. these side pieces, that may or may not be relevant. Right. Like some of your class might be learning about electricity right now because they're trying to get some electrical flow to do that conversion of energy. Right. And other parts of your class are doing less of that and they're doing more of something else. Mm-hmm. Um, they're doing more of like a salt balance right. instead of an electricity thing. And in that group, we, you know, like we had, there were other things that that group had to focus more on. So they were focusing on more bond energy and things like that. And the equations came a lot easier for that group. Mm-hmm. Um, not like easier, but the way that you would insert the numbers uh-huh. came easier for that group. So that group had to really focus on collecting precise data and, you know, getting their numbers to make sense and things like that. So it's a balance between. Um, where you are giving that instruction. Right. So there has to be some kind of structure and process that you have in place Mm -hmm. to ensure that students don't get totally lost in the weeds. Right. Correct? Like you talked about collecting data. Do all of your groups have to like run an experiment at some point through that process? Um, And is there certain formulas or certain like ways that you have them structure how they set up that experiment? Yes. Uh, Yes, they all have to do an experiment. And I would say, yes, I have kind of like a general parameters as to how they need to set that up. Uh Um, I can't think like quite specifically right now, but when it comes to their individual project, um, that's a lot of teacher working kind of one-on-one to make sure that their group has a purpose. Mm -hmm. Kind of like the same thing. So um, you're almost like creating a mini driving question for your experiment. Like, Uh what are you trying to figure out? You know, you're coming up with a hypothesis that's really an if-then statement. If I do this, then this will happen. Um, And then your traditional, you know, like what materials are they going to need? What's their procedure? Mm -hmm. A lot of times I have students do it first and then write the procedure because they don't really know what they're doing. And, Uh you know, it's easier to do it first and then kind of explain what you did, how much you used. Right. Um, And I really stress to them, you know, like think about the data before you do it that you're that you think you're going to need and that you're going to collect right because that drives what you what you're going to do yeah and we have some like tools there to help them structure that um like we have a kind of like a lab setup Mm -hmm. on like okay if you're running an experiment you need an independent variable you need a dependent variable and then you need a whole bunch of controls right so we don't necessarily make them detail out step one i'm going to do this step two i'm going to do this but we do make them detail out here's my independent here's my dependent here's everything else that i'm controlling mm-hmm. here's generally how i'm going to do it um, and here's the materials that i'm going to use and then once they run it and they figure out okay what data am i actually trying to take and just to be clear independent and dependent variables are um, what am I changing? And then what data am I taking from that change? Mm. 
So I am going to change the number of lemons in my lemon battery, mm -hmm. and I am going to measure the voltage output from those lemons in circuit. Um, so as they change those things, they have an idea of what they're measuring, and they can take that data. So they basically have to know, here's generally how I'm going to set things up. Mm -hmm. Here's what I'm going to take out of that. Then they get to look at it and say, like, okay, where am I at? Do I have valid data yet? Mm -hmm. yeah. And a lot of the time, the answer is no. No, <laughs> no I don't have valid data yeah. yet because I didn't set it up perfectly. Right. But that's a huge learning opportunity. Yes. Um, is to figure out, like, oh, it wasn't perfect. I figured <laughs> out something, but it doesn't seem to track with what I was expecting to figure out. Mm -hmm. How do I go back and rework that? Which I think is a huge valuable lesson as well. Yes. Is, like, I tried something and my first attempt is not good enough mm -hmm. uh, because that is life all the time. Right. Right? I tried something. It went okay-ish. Mm -hmm. I tried my best, but now I can try better. Yeah. Um, and that, I think, is a, a really valuable piece as well in terms of, like, I had a structure. I followed the structure. Huh. Now I have to do more thinking. Right. And what it's really doing is building those higher-level thinking skills so that it's not Ms. Vogel gave me a list of steps to follow. Mm -hmm. I followed the list of steps. Now I'm going to fill in the numbers into the table that she gave me. And now I turn it in my paper. And I don't really understand what I did at any point, but I filled in all the boxes that I was told to fill in. Right. This is very much more students are driving the learning. Students are driving the process. And that means they're going to make more mistakes. Yeah. But it also means they're going to learn more. Oh, yeah. And then, like, and think about in real life. You don't just like go home and say, "Ah, there's this problem that I need to fix." You know, well, quite honestly, I don't. Where's the safety manual? And you know, like, I play around with it and try to fix it. And okay, that didn't work. Now, uh, you know, I made like <laughs> my husband and I are trying to fix our water heater. Okay, so we turned this valve. Now it's leaking more. Now we do this other thing, and then it's leaking less. And you know, but it's still leaking. And it's all about problem solving along the way. And so especially like when you're getting students to do labs, I think they need to, I think in the past they've been given cookbook labs where, you know, follow the recipe and you get the end result. But really we're asking them to ask the questions, what do you need to do to create that recipe? Um, and I think that's the exciting thing too. Now the hard part is uh, there's lots of times where stuff does not work uh -huh. and keep does, you know, it just doesn't work, doesn't work, doesn't work. There's like, well, this one bright spot where it works and then it keep doesn't work. Uh -huh. keep, Continues, to, continues not, to not, not work. work. Thank you. Um, and that's frustrating for students, but like you said, that's real life sometimes. And it's being able to have that attitude about perseverance in the classroom and making sure that you are, you know, following sort of what you what the path is and collecting the data that you can and just kind of going going forward. So. Nice. And then at some point when you realize like we're stuck in a little cycle here, then you get the teacher intervention mm -hmm. to jump in and be like, okay, here's how we're gonna solve this. Right. Uh, let's take these steps mm -hmm. and this will help move us forward or you're going in the wrong direction. Right. Let's test it back over this way. Come on back this direction. Mm -hmm. It'll be a lot more successful if we try this. Right. Okay. So you've got your driving question. You've come up with a need to know list. The kids have run some experiments. They've gathered some data. They've made some progress. Uh, what's the actual end product? So it sounds like there's a lot of student voice and choice. Uh -huh. There's a lot of like relevant engagement, mm -hmm. students doing stuff. And I kind of want to highlight there because I feel like that fits in with my main uh, philosophy around teaching because I am currently te uh, coaching 
my son's kindergarten soccer team. And it has been eye-opening for me just in terms of like generally how do we manage a teaching situation. I'm used to teaching high schoolers where I can like make sarcastic comments and joke around and they can like stick with me for <laughs> upwards of 15 seconds. <laughs> and now that I'm te- or coaching kindergarten soccer, there's only like nine kids. But if we're not moving all the time, I've lost them. Uh-huh. Like as soon as it's like, all right, everybody put your foot on the ball and listen for 25 seconds. It's like, no, 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 stop kicking the ball over there. Oh, oh no, come back. They're picking daisies. In They're that. picking daisies. It's all over the place. So um, what I realized is that what I actually believe about teaching is there's two questions that lead to a good lesson. Question number one is, is it fun? And question number two is, are they active? Mm-hmm. And the answer has to be yes yeah. pretty much all the time. Right. Um, what are students doing? Is it something that students are doing? If it's just students are listening, then they're not doing much and they're not going to learn much. Mm -hmm. And you get that really fast when you talk, 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 and then ask a question and get a whole bunch of blank stares. And you're like, I just said the answer. Uh Like, guys, what's 8 plus 3? It's 11. Guys, what's 8 plus 3? Huh? What? What were you saying? Yeah. Like, listening is not an action. Yeah. So it has to be fun. They have to be active. And I think that's the key piece for the instruction part of project-based learning. Right. Is that they are active. It's fun. And then the other huge piece is the rigor, right? And I think that's the part that people get concerned about. Mm-hmm. Is like, okay, so you've got your kids. They're just kind of making up their own experiments. Like, how do you know they're actually learning anything? Right. How do you ensure that level of rigor that we need from our students? And I would say just like you brought up with the navigating um, students, you know, spending days where they're working on their project and there's other days where there is instruction from the teacher um, or, you know, they're watching simulations or they're reading articles to back up their device or their idea. Um, The same thing with the rigor. You have to make sure that you are posing questions at high level that get students to think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also have to make sure that you're repeating content a lot. Mm-hmm. So it has to be a project that's gonna bring up the content that you want students to learn a lot. Mm-hmm. And they have to grapple with it a lot. Yeah. Um, that way they're seeing it more than just once. Um, and then other and ways- And the other thing I would add in there is that there have to be a whole lot of stop gaps. Yes. Like if you just let them go and they come up with something, what you'll get at the end is like a very disjointed presentation of some kind. Um, And so there have to be a lot of checkpoints and a lot of stop gaps. Mm -hmm. So like step number one is you come up with your proposal for the device that you're going to create. Step number two is you design the experiment to test an element of that device. Mm -hmm. Step number three is you run the experiment to test the the experiment of the thing that you said you were going to test. Step number four is you analyze the data. Step number five is you go back and redesign your original plan. Step, like So you have these checkpoints where the students have to demonstrate, like, yes, I've done this piece, and you're not prescribing exactly what they have to do, uh-huh. but you are telling them these are the checkpoints, and you got to hit this at this point. Right. And I think um, going back to when you're launching a project and also when students are coming up with the need to knows, that's also a good point where you are kind of making it clear to students what is expected at the end. Mm -hmm. So it's still expected at the end that you can, you know, 
calculate the Q equals MCAT equation or right. that you know the difference between the types of energy or things like that. So it's also making it clear to students from the beginning kind of what those checkpoints are and what that expectation is. Right, what your content expectations are. And just to be clear, since you've shifted to project-based learning, have you just given up on homework and direct instruction and tests? No. Um, I think my philosophy on homework especially and I translate that I try to as best I can um, convey this to my students. It's that it's practice, mm-hmm. um, and practice is very important because just like you wouldn't show up to a football game and just run in there and say, "All right, I'm ready to go." Uh-huh. Like you have to go to practice to learn the plays. You have to think about practice afterwards and think about the plays and where you are and when when you're going to catch the ball, who's throwing the ball, mm-hmm. who's blocking, things like that. Um, the same thing happens with homework mm-hmm. where students have to think of it as practice and it's practice outside of the classroom. Uh, I, ch- I try to be very choosy in what I have them do for that practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as So it's stuff that's relevant yes. to the project that they're working on, but they're still practicing the skills necessary. So you talked about like the heat piece, yeah. um, thermodynamics. Um, you're having them do some practice problems calculating the heat Mm-hmm. using Q equals MC delta T, yes, um, which is mass times specific heat mm-hmm. capacity times the change in temperature. Right. Um, so you're running a few practice problems that are then directly relevant to the hand warmer or the toaster or whatever that they're trying to build. Right. And I, and I let them know, like, here are the practice problems that you're going to do because if you – you know, like when we need them for our own project, I need to know that you at least know the equation Mm -hmm. and can plug the things in and, you know, you can find measurements that make sense. You can convert between units so that when you get your data, you can function with the same way with your own data. Right. It's always a lot scarier when they have their own data because they don't really know if it's right or not right. And so it's getting, you know, like let's get the practice problems done so that we can see if we can uh, make sense of our own numbers Apply as well. Apply it to the real situation. Yeah, exactly. And then you do still directly teach how to do some of this work. Yes, absolutely. Like there's some they're stuff never gonna, like, that find you're that not just going to magically stumble upon <laughs> right. the right equation. Yes. Um, like you directly teach, here is the equation, here's how we plug in, let's do a few together, great, here's what it means. Yes, yeah. Um, and then let's apply it. Yeah, um, but you wait until they get to the point of like, hey, we need to figure out how to calculate the heat. Yes. I yeah. know how to take a temperature with a thermometer, but, but I don't know translate? how that translates to heat energy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, other than like it's a few degrees. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Um, and then I also, you know, going back to assessments, uh, quizzes, um, they're good checking points along the way to make sure that students are understanding what's going on. Uh, and I would balance quizzes in between like just direct content type stuff. Mm-hmm. And also I like it when it's describe what's happening with your project mm. or what I've drawn more to is draw me a picture of what's happening with the chemicals at the molecular level during your project. Oh, and that's that cool. really gets students to go like, wait, what? Uh-huh. And, and I think that's a good a point where you can address the, okay, students get it or they don't get it so much. Right. And I think that depending on how, I don't know how to explain this, but how much they can magnify that view uh-huh. of what's going on really helps. Yeah. So it's not just like I got a lemon. And then I got a stick of copper and I got a stick of zinc. Yeah. That's actually like inside the lemon is acid. Mm -hmm. Acid means that there are H pluses. Mm -hmm. That means that I'm missing an electron. Right. There's a positive charge there. 
Then the electron is jumping, da 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 da, and here's why copper is helpful, and here's why zinc is helpful yes. on the molecular chemical level. Right. Not just like lemon, <laughs> here's, paper, here's paper a, clip, yeah. other funny colored paper clip stick thing, yeah. and then magic. And it, the nice thing, too, is a lot of it goes back to what they learned before. So mm-hmm. why was why does copper and zinc, you know, why are those two metals useful for when we make a battery? Mm-hmm. Can we use other metals? Mm. Let's try it with other metals. So, you know, that... Oh, can, can we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sweet. And that uh, then we go into, like, the potential energy and um, understanding the difference between the potential energy that each of these metals have. So different metals um, have different for their capacities chemical, for yeah. potential energy? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So then we look at that diagram and yeah, should take some chemistry. <laughs> Sounds interesting. Yeah, so it's it's exciting. It's cool. Good. Okay, so you run through this whole process. Um, <laughs> students have a lot of voice and choice. They kind of drive the instruction, but you're also helping to drive that instruction mm-hmm. within certain bounds. Um, and then a huge part of project-based learning is that final product. Right. Um, so my understanding is through project-based learning, there is always a public product. Mm-hmm. It's a real reason that you're doing something. Mm-hmm. And then you have some way of presenting your final work for a public audience. Right. Um, Why is that so important? I think it's important because it not only makes the project relevant, it also makes it not like higher stakes, but it sort of ups the ante that you're presenting it to people. Um, What's more exciting is when these high school students are presenting it to professionals Mm -hmm. because the professionals can give the feedback to students knowing that they're still high school students, but also giving them the inspiration that like what you're doing, there's actual relevance for it because there's professionals here that this is their job to do this. Uh-huh. This is their job to, you know, make these chemicals work in a specific way. Or, you know, we, we're doing another water project that we're launching into. And it's really like about providing clean w- drinking water for people across the and globe Uh and it really is like there's relevance to these projects and for that one you're collaborating with people from like rotary international right or the novato version novato sunrise novato novato sunrise okay novato sunrise rotary club Mm -hmm. which then has international pieces where they could actually take these ideas and put them into communities that need clean water yes yeah um, so when students present their work, you actually bring in a panel of professional judges? As best I can. Uh-huh. Sometimes those professional judges are just even teachers from other classes. Uh-huh. Um, it might be from a design class on campus, or I've had math teachers come in. I've had, I forget, for other, I did like a video project one time, and it was our multimedia teacher. Um for our physics class, we just had our students present their Rube Goldberg machines, and we did an evening presentation, um, so like 6.30 to 8, and the students all like dressed professionally, put on their button-up shirts, and we practiced speaking to a professional audience, and then we had a panel of like 25 different engineers, architects, artists, scientists um, who came in and provided professional feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something like way more valuable about speaking to a judge that uh, you have not met before. Right. Like a quote-unquote professional Mm -hmm. engineer Mm -hmm. um, who has some expertise in the field and she can really tell you like, hey, you're going in the right direction. I think your blueprints are not yet at an engineering type level. Mm -hmm. Um, Or like, I like the way that you calculated that and you're speaking really confidently. I think you made a mistake right here. Instead of just like, well, you're doing it for your teacher 
in class. Right. Teacher in class is like, oh, I know Mr. Williams. Yes. I yeah. know Ms. Vogel. Yeah. Like, they'll be cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the students really step up. They do. For those evening presentation pieces um, where it's like, we're doing this for real. We've brought in some architects. Um, we did one where we were doing passive solar design, thermodynamics, and had our students design a new science building for campus because we were in the process of designing a new mm -hmm. science building. And then we had our students present to the actual architecture firm that was designing our building. So like, here's our ideas within the realm of like what we, you know, we had like, this is the site it's going to be on. This is how many square feet you have to play with. This is your budget. And then the students came up with, here's our design and here's why we think it will best meet the needs and how it includes passive solar features. And then we brought in the three architects from the firm that was actually contracted to build the building. Um, and they presented to those architects on like directly on site, like, hey, this is what we think it should be. Right. And I think there's some real power there of like, we have some ideas, we've learned the content, and now it is local and site-specific mm -hmm. and directly applicable. Yeah. Like when, when we did that hand warmer project and it was for marketing at um, soccer games, uh -huh. you know, I brought in the coach of the soccer team uh -huh. and I brought in the sports boosters. Uh -huh. And it's just, it's interesting. Um, and again, like there's professionals there. They're a professional in their little field, but it's even the questions that they bring to the table mm. as a judge mm -hmm. that are different than what I think as a teacher. You right. know, because teacher, I'm still like, all right, do they know the chemistry? Right. But you as know, a teacher, it's always like, did they get the calculation right? Yes. Yeah. But, you know, as you, you know, when you're bringing in the sports boosters and the whole goal was to market this hand warmer to sell, you know, they came up with a great, you know, great questions like, OK, your hand warmer doesn't actually hold in the liquid and, <laughs> and you said it's dangerous, you know. Like, <laughs> so it's just funny that um, they, they definitely bring in a different element and it ups the students game. So it's small it's details. Yeah. Small details. <laughs> um, OK, so you start with a driving question. Yes. You have a need to know uh, certain content that has to be covered. You uh, run through the student voice and choice in terms of how they address the problem. Um, there is a lot of relevance and rigor. And then you end with some kind of a pu public product and a public presentation. Yes. Um, is there anything else there that we are really clearly missing? Um, I would um, say the last piece is the reflection piece. Uh-huh. And what we have students do is, well, they've already created a website mm -hmm. and they are updating their website with their final product mm -hmm. and a reflection on their final product. And again, I think it's going back to the skills that we talked about earlier and having students think about sort of the whole process and sort of putting a nice bow on what they did for their project. Mm -hmm. And as best we can. Sometimes they, they totally dig it and they want to go dive deeper into it or they find that this is their passion for whatever reason mm -hmm. and you know it's nice to have that but we have a very clear um, structure on how we want them to reflect on the content and review back to the things that they learn and I think that that is really important because you always ask students like well what'd you do today or what'd you learn today and mm -hmm. the answer should never be nothing because right. there's always something that you did there's always something that you learn mm -hmm. you just need a minute to stop and think about it totally and I think that's a really core piece is we don't learn from like making mistakes. We learn from reflecting 
about those mistakes. Mm -hmm. You can keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again, but if you never reflect on it and think about like, huh, why did this work? Why did this not work? Where am I doing well? Where can I keep improving? Then students never have the opportunity to actually fix those pieces. Absolutely. Um, So we finally end with a little reflection piece, and the way that we do it is we have students write those reflections, explain their learning, explain the project they did in this website that they have, an academic portfolio. Um, And that also is like a really nice tool to kind of track their progress through high school. Mm -hmm. So you can see what kind of work were they doing in ninth grade, how has that changed as they kind of build their skill forward in 10th, 11th, 12th grade, um, and hopefully the quality of their work keeps improving and improving and improving, and their reflections start showing that level of growth from in ninth grade, like, oh, yeah, I kind of had a tough time staying on track, or like Mm -hmm. I had a tough time getting along with my group mate, to some really deeper reflection pieces around, you know, junior, senior year of like, as we were working, um, we ran into these types of problems, Mm -hmm. and then I had to brainstorm and critical think and go back around to solve these in a different way. And, you know, some of it keeps coming up over and over again, but some of it we can kind of fix through that reflection process. Even I would say like their writing grows Mm -hmm. over their four years. And, you know, like even just sometimes when I think about it, it's so painful for students to do, but like how awesome is it to have this collection of work that you've done for four years that you're passionate about and that you have as kind of like like your portfolio that you can then move on to your next stage in life and say like, look, look at all the stuff I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, it's incredible that students, that we force them to have that opportunity to have that. <laughs> it is. So to summarize, we open with a driving question. Mm-hmm. We come up with a content and skill need to know list. Uh, students then have a ton of voice and choice. They drive their own instruction and students kind of control or feel like they control the direction they're going. Teachers continue to work with students one-on-one and in small groups and provide some whole classroom direct instruction pieces. There are some benchmark check-ins, so some checkpoints to make sure students are getting it, some quizzes, some uh, like things to turn in at some point, some pieces for the teacher to check off. At the end, there is a public product, some kind of way of presenting to a public audience. There's a real-life application for their learning. And then finally, there's some reflecting and maybe some revising of that work uh, as they shift on to the next thing. Cool. So we talked entirely about this chemistry example. Um, Is it applicable to other things that don't have as much of a building component as science? Could I do something like project-based learning in an English classroom? Absolutely. I mean, I feel like you can do it in any um, classroom. Uh, I would argue that chemistry is really hard to do it with, um, uh-huh. but science is really easy to do it with. Yeah. But I think with any class, we need to start focusing on how can we get students to be more engaged with the material. Mm-hmm. And it comes with what we really want them to do. I mean, it starts with what we really want them to do, anchoring it on those standards, but coming up with these driving questions that will really be relevant for students. Totally. Um, I've seen some really cool ones in history classrooms, in English classrooms, in math classroom. Yeah, math is great because there's, you know, why are you bothering to learn the slope of a line? Mm -hmm. Um, Because you're tracking the rate of something. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so now let's run a race and do something around tracking that rate. 
um, in history classrooms, I've seen some really cool ones around like different forms of government. Mm -hmm. And so the project was like trialing different forms of government in a small scale Mm -hmm. and then making the case as to why a certain form of government has advantages or disadvantages over another form of government. Um, So this is getting into the like monarchy versus socialism versus communism versus democracy or parliamentary democracy versus representative, you know, I'm not a historian uh, or a government person, but like kind of like try these things in small little groups and then make a case as to why they are successful or less successful Mm -hmm. Um, in an English classroom. It might be something more of the like you are learning about certain uh, argumentative writing pieces and skills and reading a certain novel, um, and then you are implementing a theme from that novel and creating a proposal around that theme. Mm-hmm. Basically, you think about why are we learning this stuff mm-hmm. beyond, well, it's on the list of stuff I'm supposed to teach. Right. And thinking real world, what would students do with this in the real world? Right. Um, And I think that is, number one, the most challenging part. When I was first starting to learn about project-based learning, I took this amazing training from the Buck Institute of Education. Strong, strong recommend for Buck Institute of Education, PBL World. Uh, It's this bonkers conference that they Mm -hmm. hold in Napa most of the time. Uh, But they have them around the nation, and they are spectacular Mm -hmm. in terms of getting your feet wet, learning about. It was the best professional development I've done as PBL 101 through the Buck Institute. Um, but as part of that, the, um, one of the things that they, that the person who was training asked me, like I was teaching earth science at the time and I was trying talking about like, well, I teach some astronomy stuff and they're like, okay, why do you teach astronomy? And my answer was like, well, it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And they're like, that's a terrible reason. <laughs> like, no, it's, it's not. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, why do you teach astronomy? Well, because it gives you a sense of your place in the universe and like how small you are related to the larger universe. And they're like, nope, not convinced. Yeah. Why do you teach astronomy? Like basically, what's the application? Who cares where stars are? Mm-hmm. Like what's the reason right. to know about star progression? Right. And Who's there is a reason, you? right? There's a reason that scientists care yeah. about star progression. Um, but you got to figure out why is that? Yeah. What's the root reason? Mm-hmm. Um, and if there's not a root reason, why are we teaching it to high schoolers? Right. Uh, it can't just be because I think it's nice. Uh-huh. Um, cool. So um, obviously, we are huge proponents of project-based learning. Um, thank you so much for coming on and talking about it. And at a future date, we are going to come back on and talk a little bit in more in depth about some of the projects that you can do in a high school classroom and go into some real depth on like a full curriculum of project-based learning, how to make sure you can hit all your standards through that, as well as some of the other helpful tools and tips to make that classroom instruction work. Virginia Vogel, Mm -hmm. always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Of course, absolutely.